Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. In today's episode, we continue our series on asset protection planning. My hope is to help you protect the assets that you currently have and those assets that you are currently accumulating while you're on your path toward financial independence. In the early episodes of this series, we tackled a lot of big picture topics. We tackled a lot of theory, a little bit of philosophy, and some big picture understanding of how the litigation risk works against you. In today's episode, we're going to get very tactical because I want to provide information that will help you where you are now. The good news is this. You don't need to hire an attorney to engage in asset protection planning. There are many forms of asset protection planning that you can do entirely on your own. And in fact, almost everything in today's show will be entirely accessible to you without ever hiring legal counsel. You don't need exotic strategies that cost a lot of money uh, necessarily. You can do a lot with simple, practical things that you're already doing by simply understanding those things. So today we're going to start the process of specific tactical advice that you can put into place in your own life to protect the assets that you currently have. You don't have to be a millionaire. You just need to listen and start to think about how you can put things in place. Now, in asset protection planning, there are a number of different categories or rubrics that different planners use to organize their strategies. I will touch on some of those in shows to come, but today I'm going to use the categories that come from a wonderful book for uh, financial advisors uh, called Asset Protection and Financially Unsafe Times by Ryan Fowler and Arnold Goldstein. And in this book, in the introduction, these authors start by categorizing asset protection planning in two different ways. First, they lay out three core strategies relating to asset protection ideas. And those strategies are, number one, exemption planning. Number two, asset titling, making sure that all of your assets are titled to a protective entity. And then number three, encumbering your assets or equity stripping your assets in order to reduce their economic value and or the ability of a creditor to attach those assets. And so I'm going to begin by using their categorizations to lay out for you some basic ideas that you can put in place. Today's episode focused on exemption planning. An additional scheme of categorization that they touch on is the use of what's called what are called transfer-based asset protection strategies or transformational asset protection strategies. The idea behind a transfer-based asset protection strategy is that you can transfer an asset out of a creditor's reach by moving it from one place to another. The idea of a transformational asset protection strategy is that you can transform an asset into something that a creditor can't get or wouldn't want. So the examples uh, that are easiest to consider, a transfer-based strategy could be simply you're taking money from your bank account and investing it into your 401k. So thus you've taken, or from your salary, I guess would be more appropriate. You take some of your money from your salary, instead of letting it hit your bank account, you put it in your 401k. You've transferred that asset into something that a creditor can't get. The 401k asset is outside of most creditors' reach. 
or you can transform an asset. So if you have money in your bank account, you can use that money to prepay a lease on an apartment or a commercial building. And thus, you've changed the money that was easily available in your bank account into something that's useful to you, but is probably not useful to your creditor. You can prepay a five-year lease, and that may be very helpful to you in your business, but your creditor is probably not that interested in coming in and taking over that lease, even if they can get legal title to it. And so those are another method. Those are two more methods of categorization that we want to keep in mind. Let's dig into exemption planning because of any asset protection strategy that's available to all people, I think exemption planning is the most straightforward and it is the simplest and easiest thing for people to understand. Exemption planning is simply the process of organizing your wealth so that it is protected by the current law from a creditor's ability to take it from creditor attachment, even though you still own it. The form of exemption planning that is available to you will vary largely depending on your state. Some exemptions come from federal law, but most exemptions are governed by the individual laws of your state. Now, the most commonly known examples of exemption planning would be things like the house that you own, your homestead. Depending on the state that you live in, your homestead will be protected to some degree by the actual laws of your state. Now, where I live here in Florida, Florida has extremely generous homestead protection laws. And in fact, there is an unlimited value of your personal homestead, the actual property that you live in. There's an unlimited value or equity that's protected from the claims of a creditor. Now, there are a couple of rules, such as uh, your homestead can't, uh, if you live inside of a city, your homestead can't exceed half an acre in size if you're inside of a municipality, or if you're outside of a municipality, your your homestead can't exceed 160 acres. Uh, So you have to have a house that fits in under those categories. But as long as you file a homestead declaration, as long as you live there and own, uh, and that's your homestead, you can protect an unlimited value of property. There are a few other states, notably Texas, and then there are a couple of, of Midwestern states. I think Kansas and Iowa have very generous homestead exemptions, but most states don't provide such a generous homestead exemption, but Florida does. Uh, And that's just an example to show you how the actual state that you live in will govern what you are entitled to. Another example of of an exemption that you should plan for is the protection of your pension and retirement plans, especially those that are governed by the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA legislation. This is most pension plans, what are called qualified plans, including traditional pensions or also including things like a 401k account are governed by ERISA. And as such, they are governed by the federal law, which makes those plans completely protected from the claims of a creditor who will sue you. The other prominent examples would include life insurance, especially life insurance cash surrender values. Although life insurance death benefits are also protected uh, depending on the situation. 
One of the benefits of Florida law is that life insurance cash values are protected to an unlimited amount, uh, cash surrender values. And so life insurance is a very valuable asset as are annuity contracts here in Florida. Your state may vary. Your state may differ. There may be restrictions in your state where only a few thousand dollars of life insurance cash surrender values are protected. And so you need to look at the specifics for your state. Annuities are also fallen under that uh, method of protection. Annuity contracts can be very valuable to protect yourself from the claims of creditors. And then you can also look at specific items. So each state, if you and here what you th- want to do is you want to look at each state's bankruptcy exemptions. Each state will have different items that can be protected by the bankruptcy code in that state. Some states have adopted the federal bankruptcy code exemptions, and some states have created their own. And depending on the state, different items or, or amounts of personal property will be protected. Uh, Some states have fairly generous uh, amounts and some states don't. So in Florida, uh, Florida exemption amounts for personal property are fairly limited. For example, uh, if you claim a homestead exemption in Florida, you can only uh, exempt in bankruptcy filings uh, up to $1,000 of personal property. Uh, Of course, that can double if you're husband and wife or up to $4,000 if you're not claiming a a homestead exemption. Florida doesn't protect tools of the trade. Uh, Many states States protect tools of the trade to very high value amounts, which can be very important for you if you work in a trade where you have expensive tools that you've accumulated that have a large value. And instead of having to see those tools sold at auction in order to satisfy your creditors, you can protect those in certain states. And so we'll go through that in a moment. And then also wages. You want to consider how wages are protected. Many times if uh, a garnishment is issued against your wages, that garnishment can be very hurtful to you and your ability to provide for those that are dependent upon your income. It can be very difficult and hurtful for you to be able to uh, uh, rebuild your financial base. And so you might want to consider moving to a state that protects wages from wage garnishment. Also, then, of course, there are many kinds of public benefits, uh, such as um, public assistance or Social Security payments or veterans benefits or workers' compensation. And these are governed differently. Now, in planning your exemption amounts, you should be aware of the interplay between potential creditors and creditor attachment in a lawsuit and bankruptcy exemptions. The most reliable, the the best place for you to start if you're ever researching the subject for yourself is to look up your state's bankruptcy laws and your state's bankruptcy exemptions, because there will often be a good, strong connection between that and what a creditor would be legally entitled to be able to take from you. There are differences, for example, in, uh, in Florida, there are you there are certain laws related to bankruptcy of how long you have to have lived in a place. Uh, if you're going to file for that unlimited homestead exemption amount, you need to have lived in the property for I think at least a few years, in like a thousand days. Uh, and there are a couple of different numbers that you would need to check on. So all of these things are based upon the specific state that you live in. But when you sit down and you look at your balance sheet. The One of the most valuable things you can do in terms of protecting your assets is to try to make sure that you maximize the exemptions that are available to you. When it comes to asset protection planning, you have the fewest problems to look, look out for when it comes to simple exemption planning. What do I mean? Well, first, you need to make sure that any time you engage in asset protection planning, that you're always doing something for a reason that's not exclusively asset protection planning. You should always imagine yourself standing in a courtroom 
facing an antagonistic creditor and the judge looking over your uh, debtor statement, your judgment, the statement of, of accounts that you've submitted after a judgment has been issued against you where you've listed out every asset that you own. And the judge is sitting there looking at your assets and asking you, why did you put this money here? You always need to have a good answer for that. And a good answer does not involve, well, judge, I put it there so my creditors couldn't get there. Now, we all know that that's one benefit, but that should not be your only benefit. So the reason that you buy a house and pay down your mortgage is not to protect your claims from creditors. The reason that you buy a house and pay down your mortgage is because you need a place to live and it's a prudent thing to do to pay down your mortgage. The reason that you buy a life insurance policy is not to protect your cash surrender values from the claims of creditors. The reason that you buy a life insurance policy is to provide income for your family and to make sure that you have invested well and have a safe asset. The reason that you put your money in a 401k is not to protect your money from creditors. The reason that you put your money in a 401k is to provide for your retirement. And that's the way that the law works as well. The law is intended to protect those things that are needed in the long run. So for example, why are social security benefits exempt from the claims of creditors? Well, because the understanding is those Social Security benefits are protecting poor people. And so as a, uh, a last line of defense against poverty, if a creditor can now come in and take those, then the government has a, a whole bigger problem on their hands where the poor people they thought that they were providing for by providing Social Security benefits, now ha now they have an additional problem. And now the, credit the, the, the government is the one bailing out the creditor. So the reason that disability benefits or, or Social Security benefits or veterans administration's benefits or unemployment compensation is protected from creditors is so that the government doesn't have more problems. So they don't have more broke, homeless people living on the street. So that's the basic mentality that flows through this. And so you need to understand that and be able to articulate non-asset protection planning reasons for all the things that you do. This is especially important when you get into the more exotic world of asset protection planning, especially planning that involves offshore trusts or offshore investment products. If you're going to stand in front of a judge you and he's asking you, uh, you know, why did you move this, uh, this money over into this offshore trust where the trust document specifically states that your trustee must not turn over the funds to creditors, you need an investment reason. Well, judge, I was able to access better investment products or something like, well, judge, I wanted to buy uh, a life insurance policy from Liechtenstein, and in so doing, they wouldn't sell it to me if I was a U.S. citizen. So I had to put the policy into a trust so that they would actually take out the policy. Now you have an appropriate reason for your actions. So think in advance about this and be very cautious about ever uh, saying or implying that you're doing asset protection planning. That should be um, should be an important first step. And with regard to exemption planning, this is the easiest thing for you to do. Let's begin with homestead exemptions. Look up the laws in your state relating to the exemption of your homestead, the place where you live, and its protection from the state of creditors. The first thing that you want to look for is the amount of your home's value that would be protected from a creditor. The amount of your home's value that would be protected in bankruptcy court is your best place to start. Now, if you live in uh, Florida, Texas, Iowa, Kansas, and there's one other um, state, I think Oklahoma, if you live in one of these states where all of your value is, uh, all of the equity in your homestead is protected, 
then you should know that. If you live in a state where less value of your house is protected, then you need to know that as well. And this will drive some of your decisions. Some, not necessarily all, but it will drive some of your decisions. It'll drive a decision such as paying off a house. If you live in Texas, it's very much going to be in your best interest of protecting your assets to pay off your Texas house. Now, if you live in a state like North Carolina, where less than $20,000 of your equity is protected, then now you're going to have a more questionable decision. Do you really want to expose $300,000 of equity to the potential claims of a creditor? If you have a paid off, you live in a $300,000 house that's paid off. If a creditor sues you and you're ordered to pay them the amount of money that they owe, they can force your home to be foreclosed. And yes, you'll get $20,000 back after the sale, but they'll receive the rest of the asset. So you have to look at it and you have to balance the cost of having that equity um, uh, pulled out in some other way, such as the cost of carrying a mortgage, the benefits of carrying a mortgage, et cetera. And in this constant challenging decision that we face of, of carrying debt versus not carrying debt, doing it safely, et cetera, one of the, challenge, one of the things that comes into play is asset protection planning. Uh, and you need to consider the amounts. So look at the amount of equity that is protected. The second thing that you need to look at is the exceptions to the exemption. For example, uh, obviously, having a paid off house does not protect all of the equity. The most common example would be property taxes or liens that would be filed on your home by, it can be can include mechanics liens if you're hiring workers to work on your property, but even by your local government. I got into a scrap with my local government here in Florida because I had chickens. And one of the things that they threatened me with, if I didn't get rid of my chickens, was that they were going to lien my property uh, by $1,000 a day until I got rid of my chickens. Now, this is one of the things that really... Uh, changed my outlook on financial planning because I had always had this idea that, yes, in the United States of America, you can own your house, you can own your property. And I had this somewhat naive understanding of that. I had this idea that, you know, protection of property, that's the American way, blah, blah, blah. I didn't understand how naive that was. That was stupid and naive of me. Now, there are still countries in the world that do actually protect your property. There are countries in the world that don't uh, charge property taxes. Uh, and you can go back and have the political argument on whether that's right right or wrong. But the point is today in the United States, you can never actually own your property. You'll always be required to pay property taxes. And if you don't pay those property taxes, your local government can place a lien on your property. Now, usually they can't force the sale of your property for taxes, although sometimes they can, but those taxes will arise in tax liens. And if at some point in time you want to transfer the property, then um, you wind up not being able to transfer it without satisfying those liens. This applies to things like fines. And so the situation I was in was when I'm sitting there dealing with the government, I'm looking down and it wasn't just chickens. The most frustrating one was that, that, that there, was a, there was a 35-year-old shed on my property that was an unpermitted shed built without a permit at the time. And there was no way to bring the shed into compliance because it was six inches over the setback from the property line and the 12 inches too tall. Uh, I'll, that's the short version of the story. It was very frustrating. But it was big, beautiful, valuable shed. And I'm sitting here saying, wait a second. 
I put a lot of money into this property. I have a lot of equity. And now I'm in a scrap with the local government that basically has unlimited power to steal that equity from me by leaning my property. So you need to know that. Because though even though your property might be exempt from the claims of, say, a credit card company that sues you for non-payment, you're not going to be exempt from the claims of a local government, a lien that arises from your property taxes. Obviously, also, you're not going to be protected. The equity in your property is not going to be protected if somebody forecloses on you because you don't pay your mortgage. You go out and you purchase a $500,000 property. You put a down payment of $300,000 because you're interested in protecting your $300,000 of equity, but you take out a mortgage of $200,000. Something happens. You can't pay that mortgage. That mortgage company can force the sale of your property at foreclosure auction. And after they've satisfied their lien, they'll give you the best of the rest of the proceeds. But you may very well kiss off $150,000 of equity goodbye because that was the discount from the sale of your property at foreclosure auction. Other things, like other asset protection planning, such as divorce. Uh, there's nothing that would require that your property cannot be uh, issued to your the spouse that you're being divorced from. Uh, 50% of the equity in your property can be assigned regardless of your ownership of it. So just because you come in and you own the property and you don't have a mortgage on it doesn't mean that that property is perfectly asset protected. And so you need to understand the fine print on or the the details, the exceptions, and make sure that your personal situation is protected from those exceptions. Check very carefully for any requirements that are unique to your state or your locality. Some states require you to file certain forms, such as a declaration of homestead or domicile. Some states require that you live in the house a certain amount of time. Uh, some states are very careful about titling. One of the biggest concerns that I've always had living in Florida is the titling of a, of a home in um, personal name or in, uh, in, a, in a trust. So generally, you would for the, for the purpose of estate planning and smooth, easy flowing of an estate, generally you would uh, want your asset to be titled in a trust. However, if you title your asset in a trust, you lose uh, the ability to title the asset in the ownership of tenancy by the entireties. One of the most, uh, one of the other best forms of, of exemption planning is, is adjusting the ownership of assets, making sure that you own assets in a way that, that, that they're protected. So generally, for example, you want to think about if you have a, a large uh, risk, a large liability exposure, then you would usually want to make sure that your assets are titled to your spouse who doesn't have such a large liability exposure. Um, and, and we'll talk about that. If your state allows titling of assets and tenancy by the entireties, you want to make sure that you title your assets and tenancy by the entireties so that you each own an equal undivided interest in the property that, so that your interest can't be sold, much superior to tenants in common where your interest can then be sold out from under you even though you have a joint ownership situation. But one of the challenges in Florida has been understanding, well, wait a second, if I put this asset into a trust, am I still protected by the home Florida bankruptcy laws? Now, I need to verify the, the answer to that. Uh, a few years ago, it was unclear. I got to, need to ask a buddy of mine who's an attorney because he told me that that was changing, that finally there was some case law on that situation. But that's the kind of thing that you need to, uh, that you need to look out for very, very carefully. So think through those details when it comes to your home. Give very careful attention to the financial considerations of your house. And there are a few reasons why. Number one, your house is an extremely public 
asset. When you purchase your house, your purchase, you'll be recorded as the owner. Uh, the title will be recorded in the local courthouse and in the system as the you are the owner of that house. Now, as many of our municipalities go to put th- records online, used to be the private investigator who was looking into information on your house had to go down and look it up in the actual physical courthouse. Today, Uh, Most of it is online. And so a simple search, even a wildcard search on your county's uh, 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 court records will usually pop up the house that you live in. If your name is John Smith, maybe you're good because you're protected. They need a little bit more. But if your name is, you know, Terriana Hodgkinson, uh, a quick search of Hodgkinson is going to pull up your residence. And there aren't going to be too many other people named Terriana Hodgkinson. So uh, in that example, that asset is going to be exposed. Now, remember, that asset is also basically marked to market <laughs> just about every year in terms of a property value. And so somebody can quickly look down and say, oh, it's a $100,000 house because that's the tax, uh, the taxable value. Or, hey, it's a million-dollar house, and that's the taxable value. So not only does this make a major problem with regard to your personal privacy, but this creates a very public asset. And because generally you're going to be trying to take advantage of five Filing the property as your homestead to receive your tax savings and a homestead exemption because you're going to be trying to take advantage of those asset protection laws that do apply to your homestead, uh, you're probably going to be filed in your own personal name. You might, it's probably not going to be filed in a trust, which would give you an additional level of privacy. So this is a very public asset. And what's worse is the liens that are recorded against that asset are also public. So now the next step is somebody will look and say, is there a mortgage uh, on this property? And they can quickly and easily look look and find that either, hey, there is a mortgage or there's no mortgage recorded. So-and-so paid cash for the house. Well, now what? Now they know if there's no mortgage or other lien recorded in the courthouse, now somebody knows that the full equity value of your house, that you own the whole thing. And so in doing a financial asset investigation on your case, an investigator has a lot of information right there, very simple and right at their fingertips to understand your situation. If you live in a state that only gives you $20,000 of protection on the equity of your house, well, they now know that there's a lot of money available for them in that, uh, in that asset. The same thing applies if you had an older mortgage. You got to, took out a mortgage 20 years ago. Well, anybody can sit down and run an amortization schedule and have a guess of how much money uh, is owed on that mortgage. If your mortgage is 20 years old and you took it out with a beginning value of $200,000, they can see that today the taxable value of your house is $450,000. And now uh, the, the mortgage has been paid down to probably $50,000. Well, now in this case, they know, hey, if, if, if the law lawsuit comes against you, there's a good chance they're going to be going for about $400,000. It's as simple as that. And all of that information, because it's all public record, is available to any person with the ability to go down to the courthouse and and spend about 15 minutes there checking the books or the ability to go on the website and check the information that's there on the website. So your home is a huge potential problem. Now, if you're in one of those states, such as Florida or Texas or Kansas, okay, a little bit better. Then even if your home information is public, then that's you're 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 protected because of those states. But if you're not in one of those handful of states, this is a potentially a huge problem. And this is the type of analysis that can easily more easily go back to the analysis of your renting versus owning, especially if there is a high potential liability in your situation. Should you rent or should you own? 
Well, if your ownership is going to be a matter of public record, if your ownership is going to um, not be protected, and if the financial calculations of rent versus own are comparable, in this situation, now you have much more, many more compelling reasons to rent. Put more money in your 401k, which is more privately protected from the claims of creditors or from their ability to see it. And in, the, in any case, the basic people who could see your 401k are going to be the federal government based upon the reports that are filed with them, the, the people who work at the 401k institution, but are likely not going to be the private investigator of the local, uh, the local attorney. And so put more money in your 401k and just rent. And then if you want to buy property, consider buying property that's paid for rental property, which you can title into a trust, which will give you more privacy. And you can also have some protection depending on what asset form you use for it. And you can you can protect that asset uh, um, from the uh, based upon its its the, the the ownership entity. Possibly you can even do it abroad where now you get even more um protection. So there are a lot of different ways to do it, but this is the type of analysis that you will that you need to do based upon the state that you live in. Now, in conclusion on homestead exemptions, I would be remiss if I did not point out to you that you should always have um, a plan B. Now, I believe in you're having a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, going all the way to Z. And then I like the ideas of having plans A, B, A, C, A, D, etc. <laughs> Multiple plans. And you should be aware of the fact that one of your kind of last ditch efforts, if you've done no asset protection planning and you're facing a severe claim, you should be willing to consider moving to Florida and purchasing a homestead in Florida. To my knowledge, Florida is the only state that has, where the Florida Supreme Court has affirmed that the purchase of a homestead in Florida, even if it's intentionally done to thwart creditors, cannot be undone as a fraudulent transfer. Remember back to that pesky fraudulent transfer law. Many things that you would do in a difficult situation can and will be undone by a court as fraudulent transfers. If you didn't do the planning prior to the facts that 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 occurred uh, came up. And so but one of the few things is move to Florida and purchase a uh, a home. Now the good thing about that depending on the amount of money that you have to spend, you can find in the state of Florida a homestead that you could purchase for anywhere from a few tens of thousands of dollars to many tens of millions of dollars. And you should always have that and be aware of that and consider that as a potential backup plan. There are some more details, um, two things than, that you would need to know, uh, and that won't protect you from bankruptcy, uh, but it can protect your asset from the claims of creditors. So if you're in a situation like that, always keep in mind, Florida is there. It's an easy car ride from most of the country, and it's a very large state with many diverse cultures, many diverse places, many diverse business opportunities as well. And one of the benefits of Florida, uh, which we'll talk about in a separate show, is um, exemption uh, uh, creditor wage garnishment exemptions. If you're the file taxes as a head of a household in Florida, you have additional protection from the garnishment of your wages, which can be very helpful if you are a wage earner. I'm going to wrap up this show on exemptions here with uh, that discussion of the homestead exemption. I repeat 
check your state laws. This is state law territory. And I will use Florida again and again, simply because it's the state I'm familiar with. I wouldn't presume to talk to you about Nebraska state laws, or I wouldn't presume to talk to you about Maine. You need to check those things. If in doubt, speak with an attorney in your area. One of the most important things to do is always to consult legal counsel on this type of discussion. And it's much easier for you to spend a few hundred dollars down at the local bankruptcy attorney's uh, office where they live and breathe this stuff every day and they can point out all the exemptions to you. It's much easier for you to do that than it is uh, to, uh, to, to get it wrong. So go and consult a, a planner in your state and find out what the appropriate uh, situations are for your state. In the next episode in this series, we talk about uh, pensions and retirement plans and exemption planning for those assets. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that in another series. As I close, I want to continue to market to you my credit card course. And uh, I want to point out to you that one of the most valuable things about that is in the credit card course, I do a serious deep dive <clears throat> Excuse me, into the strategies that you can use when taking on debt to protect yourself. And this is a good example of why that's so important. Let's pretend that you just got noticed that you're going to be served with a lawsuit and you need to fight that lawsuit. And the problem is you have been investing a lot of money in your business uh, and you have a house, uh, but you know you need to fight this lawsuit and you don't have a lot of ready cash right now. So what do you do if you're in that situation? Well, the problem is if you go to your house and you take out a home equity line to pay your attorney, well, now you, especially you know, if you live in a state with, with good homestead laws, now you run a problem. As a Floridian, I'd never take money out of my house to go and pay an attorney because if the attorney loses, only if I don't pay, I'm going to have the attorney sue me, of course. But uh, if the attorney loses, then now all of a sudden... I'm out because the attorney is going to require their money up front for them to take the case. I'm not going to get that money back unless we can get the opponent to win the legal fees in, in, in a victory on our side. But now I've lost that asset of the house. Well, I could take out a 401k loan if I have a 401k, but I'm not about to do that because now that puts 401k money at risk. So where am I going to get the money? I don't have the money in savings right now because it's all out in investment right now. Well, if I've got an asset I could sell, then I want to sell that asset, but I want, don't want to fire sale the asset. Uh, let's say I've got a rental property and I look at it and say, hey, this rental property, I wouldn't mind being uh, uh, divested of it for, for investment reasons, but I don't want to fire sale it. I don't want to become a motivated seller. But the attorney's saying, hey, Joshua, if I'm going to fight this case for you, I need some money. Where would I turn? Credit cards. Credit cards are a beautiful answer to this problem because... If I have a good credit score, and especially if I've developed extensive lines of, of credit that are available to me, I can access that line of credit fast, and I can access it cheap. I can use that money to go and pay my attorney so that the attorney will fight my case for me. If I win the lawsuit, and if I can get the opposing party to pay my, reimburse me for my legal fees, now I can reimburse myself for that loan, those, that credit card loan. If I lose the lawsuit, and I then I can go ahead and work through and sell my rental property at a higher rate, buy myself more time, and I can take those proceeds and pay off my credit cards. If I really lose the lawsuit and I wind up just sunk, well, I may have to go through bankruptcy court, and at least there I can discharge the credit card debt 
while still keeping my house and my 401k, while also keeping those proceeds protected from the claims of creditors. And so that's why understanding the secured and unsecured nature of debts is so important. But the only way that situation works is if I've done the advanced planning. First of all, if I understand what that plan XYZ is in that worst case scenario, if I've thought about which assets I would sell, where I would get the forms of financing, if I have a high credit score, and if I have extensive lines of credit available to me. Credit cards are low-hanging fruit if you understand how they can be used strategically. If you have credit card debt, my course will help you get out of debt faster and cheaper. If you don't have credit card debt, my course will help you make sure that if you ever do have credit card debt for a scenario like I've just described, that you're at least protected so that you can keep your business going, so that you can keep your life going, so that you can keep your family intact in order for you to earn the money, liquidate the assets, whatever you need to pay off the debt. The point is not to escape creditors. I don't ever want to help you do that necessarily, like in the sense of, of a fraudulent intent. I'm sure somebody will do it. Um, I can't stop that. But I don't want to help you do that. I want to help you protect yourself, keep your life stable so that with all those things stable, you can solve the problem and move on from a place of security to a place of additional security. I hope you'll give it a try. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash credit card course. Again, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash credit card course. Give it a try. Uh, how much? Uh, 40 bucks and um, uh, 30 day money back guarantee, uh, unconditional. So give it a try. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash credit card course. Be the best 40 bucks you spend this year.